Christian litmus test. Are you up for this challenge? Would you say you're a Christian? How do you know that you're a Christian? Have you been confirmed? Have you been baptized? Did you go down and say a prayer at some altar? What's your story? How would you tell someone, how would you convince someone that you are indeed a Christian? Let me ask you something. If you somehow knew I was about to die, like say in the next five minutes, and you had one chance to tell me whatever it was that you were going to tell me so that I could possibly obtain salvation, what would that be? Does this seem like a tough question to answer? Were you able to answer the question right off the bat? And if you were, I would ask you, what are the grounds that you are standing on for that? Let's flip it around on you. Say you were about to die in the next five minutes, and then you were about to stand in front of God and give an account for everything you've ever done, good, bad, public, private. Where do you think you would stand in light of his judgment? And uh, this is coming from Hebrews 9.27, where it says, it's appointed every man today to die and then face judgment. This is also coming from Ecclesiastes 12.14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, whether it be a secret thing or whether it be good or evil. Let me share something with you. From Matthew 7.21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 22, it says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So with that in mind, could you honestly say, Well, I'm a good person. I've, I've uh, been a Christian my whole life. Of course God is going to accept me. Going off this very basis that Jesus set here. So what's the premise of Judgment Day? Well, let's go to the end of verse 23. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So a premise for God's judgment is going to be lawlessness. From Ezekiel 18.20, it says, The soul that sins, it shall die. And then from Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. How then do we attain that eternal life? Have you ever heard of a pastor turning away anyone to his congregation? Let me read you this from John 10, starting at verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Have you ever heard God's voice before? But even with that, we just read from Matthew 7 that even those who prophesy are not necessarily those who are saved. But I will tell you, all who are born again have heard God's voice. Maybe you've had someone take you down what is called the Romans Road, which is from Romans 10.9. Because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The context of the scripture is preaching the gospel in the face of death. That is what Paul's talking about, and it goes on to say, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In fact, one of my favorite verses, verse 14, How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? How shall they believe on him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? Someone might say, well, all you have to do is believe in God. But do you really understand what it means to believe in God? James 2.19 You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. It's not just enough to acknowledge that God exists. Acknowledging God is not the same as believing in God. 
But even in that, belief in God alone can't save us. So then if altar calls won't do it, if confirmation with certain churches won't do it, well then what will? And the answer is, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. All these things, these are things that we do. There's even things that God requires in order for us to receive salvation, but they in themselves don't bring about our salvation. We can't save ourselves. It's something that only God can do. And without Him, there's absolutely no hope. Are you confused yet? Are you angry? Are you upset at me? Are you just writing me off as uh, nobody who knows what I'm talking about? If you listen thus far, I must have retained your attention somehow. And to be quite honest, if you're still listening to this, I do believe this was divinely appointed by the Lord for you to hear. And if you're listening to this, chances are no one else around you even knows what you're listening to if anyone's around. So this is a good opportunity for you to stand alone with the Lord in this moment. Let me tell you a few things that the Lord requires even for us to receive the gift of salvation. The Bible says three times that God gives grace to the humble, but he rejects the proud. Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, and 1 Peter 5.5. 5. If the Lord says it three times, it's worth listening to. What is biblical humility? The way I best explain it is it's just flat-out honesty. It's honesty with God about who you really are, about what you've done against him, and just being completely open and honest. Now, the wonderful thing about God is like the scripture just says, or like these three scriptures just said, that God gives grace to the humble. He's looking forward to that honesty. The best verse I can give on God's heart towards a situation is from Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God desires this initial honesty. Something he can't stand is, is putting on religious errors in the first place. He doesn't like it when we do something towards him and our heart is far from that subject in the first place. Let me illustrate uh, back up further in Isaiah 1, starting in verse 13. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure inequity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Someone might have told you that God hears every prayer. But right here in verse 15, he distinctly says that he will not listen to the prayers of these people. That's why it's so important to come to him with that initial honesty. Let me reinforce this a little bit further. At the end of Isaiah, chapter 66, starting in verse 1, thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hands have made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But there is one to whom I will look, he who is humble and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. There are two things us Westerners don't really have concept of, and that's a monarchy, and that's the fear of God. And we are to fear the Lord, especially if we are in sin and we're not born again. And if you've been listening to this up until this point, even if you've grown up in church, it's not a bad idea to acknowledge this. What have you got to gain? But also, he is King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. What He says goes, and we have no say in the matter. Jesus is not a Burger King God. We don't get to have Him our way. It's His way, or it's His way. 
Either way, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean that all will be saved, but that means that we will all be handled accordingly. That none can escape his authority or his sovereignty. This is why it's a wonderful thing that even though he's completely in control of everything, and that may seem to be a scary thought and concept, that he's actually a good and loving God, it even gives us a chance at salvation in the first place. Let me show you this. This is from Isaiah 63. Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Basra, who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I in righteousness, mighty to save. So in context with that verse, we know right there that this is talking about Jesus because he says, it is I who is mighty to save. Let me continue to read. Why is your apparel red and your garment like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and for the year of redemption had come. For those of you listening who have grown up in the church, it is extremely crucial for you to understand that the one who saves is the one who's doing the judgment in the first place. I think this revelation is very key in helping a lot of people actually obtaining salvation from the Lord. You have to understand that the one who is capable of saving is also the one who's capable of condemning. And the two are the same, and that's Jesus. In fact, follow me over to the book of Acts. Chapter 17, starting in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is talking expressly about Jesus, and I think this ties in everything. Chances are, in the American church, your preacher or pastor has not said from behind the pulpit that you are required, you are commanded by God to repent of your sins. In fact, this was Jesus' ministry. If you read in Mark chapter 1, for example, verse 5, it says that he went out and he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that we are required to repent of our sins and to believe in Jesus. And this is the actions that are taken for us to receive God's gift of salvation. But you have to understand, even so, salvation still comes from God. Let me reinforce this from Luke twenty four forty six, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's what the apostles were mandated by Christ to do. There's no other gospel that's to be preached than Jesus did this for us. He bled and died on the cross for our sins. He was raised on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he currently lives in flesh and blood as I speak. And he has commanded everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in him. Because in what he did, we can obtain the forgiveness of our sins. Now here is where it gets into the salvation bit. You have to understand that God requires these things, repentance and faith. But repentance and faith is not our salvation. Salvation is something that only God can do. And there's no way around that. You and I can't replicate that. We can't fill that void. We can't substitute any action for that. There's no prayer that we can pray. There's no altar call that we can take. There's no 
baptism that we can undergo that can save us. God has to save us. He has to do that work. No one else can do that part. That is the thing that I'm emphasizing most of all. And if we have not received that part that only God can do, then outside of that, there is no hope for us. And in fact, doom and gloom lingers over our heads, and that's just a fact. And I tell you that not because I'm being judgmental, but it's the truth of the matter, and you need to understand the severity of your situation. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church. It doesn't matter if all your friends say you're a good person. If you have not been born again, you have not received the, the gift of salvation. You have not been forgiven for your sins, and you are just as in trouble as any other sinner in the world. And we're all sinners. We're all born sinners. We are all born with the innate nature to lean towards lying, especially as, as children. We're all born with this nature. We all have to deal with this. I'm in the same boat as you. The only difference is I'm saying, I'm pointing to Jesus and saying, he's the answer. Let me reinforce what I'm talking about. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, 13. Paul's talking about Jesus here. In him, you also, when you heard the word of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul spells it all out right here. Repentance is required, belief in the gospel is required, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the work of salvation. In Romans 8, verses 15 and 16, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What you have to understand what that's saying is it's Holy Spirit who births in us the new life, the new spirit. That it's Holy Spirit who is the one who does the work of salvation in us to begin with. Let me take you back all the way to John chapter 1. This is John the Baptist bearing witness about Jesus. In other words, he's given testimony. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. Right there, John spells it out. Those who believe they were they became born again they became by the will of god not of our flesh meaning it's not something you can do in the physical it's something only god can do let me take you over to john chapter 3 jesus was talking to nicodemus a lot of people know verse 16 because it was up in a lot of baseball games hear that and you know but let me read this bit right here from john 3 3 jesus said to him Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Right here, Jesus said it again. And this is not talking about baptism. Nowhere in this scripture, in the, in the entire chapter of John 3, did Jesus mention baptism at all. It's not talking about baptism when it's mentioning water there. It's talking about that which is physical, that which is flesh, 
And that which is spirit, that's the comparison and the parallel that's being made there. If you see where he talks about spirit both times, he mentions water and flesh as well. That that's that's the parallel, the water and flesh, the physical against the spirit. You have to be born of Holy Spirit. God has to come down and do something in you. And that something is actually spelled out very clearly. In Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel actually prophesied about this whole born-again experience. In verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. But right here, Spells it very plainly. Plainly, God is going to take away our stony cold dead heart, and he's going to put in, it says a heart of flesh, but it means one that's alive. God's going to put a new living heart inside us. Jesus himself said, I came to give life and life abundantly. And it says here that the Holy Spirit will breathe new, new life into us, a new spirit. Turn with me now to Acts 3. This is Peter, freshly baptized in the Holy Spirit, preaching on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did all your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets, that his Christ should suffer, and thus uh, fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Right here, Peter mentions repent and be converted. There's a conversion that has to happen. There is this initial encounter from the Holy Spirit. When you, when you repent and when you cry out to the Lord and you, you're in genuine contrition, you've realized that you have wronged God, that you have sinned against Him, that you've provoked Him to wrath, and that what you deserve is hell, but you're pleading for mercy. When you've come to that point... Which that in itself is a gift from God, by the way, because it says in John 16 that Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. So even then, you're being led by Holy Spirit into these things. But still, when you're repenting and you cry out to Him, God's response to a person who's genuine is the born-again encounter, is when Holy Spirit comes down, takes away our stony, cold, dead heart, replaces it with the living heart filled with the love of God, and breathes new life into us, because when we sin, the spirit that's in us is dead. And as we continue in this life, we're continuing as someone who's really dead on the inside, someone who, whose spirit is dead and whose body is going to catch up eventually. There has to be that born-again experience, that born-again encounter. And this is not preached, this is not taught that Salvation comes from God alone, or people say that, but they don't really expand on what that really means. And I think this is the biggest stumbling block, because Christ is the stumbling block. He is the, the stone that the builders rejected and became the capstone. That's what the scripture says. And this being taught that God is the one who brings salvation, that he actually is the one who works by his own hand, salvation into our lives and there's that initial encounter where he says okay i heard your plea for mercy and i'm sending holy spirit to seal the deal he's going to be the collateral that i'm putting that i will at the end of your life when you're standing before me on the day of judgment justify you for a lifetime of sin because jesus paid for your lifetime of sin through his blood 
I am going to remember that promise because I'm putting Holy Spirit down as collateral, and I'm saying that I will remember this moment, and I will save you from a lifetime of sin, and I'm going to breathe new spirit into you. I'm going to change that heart that loves to sin, that loves to hide and and do the things you shouldn't do. I'm going to change that thing. I'm going to take it out of your chest, and I'm going to put in it a heart that's filled with my love so that you are set free from the bondage of sin and no longer do the things that you know you shouldn't do, not because you're under some religious obligation to not do these things, but simply put, you don't want to do these things anymore. You're no longer enslaved to sin. And now you can walk out this new life with God. And that is the whole purpose. In Exodus 20, he's called jealousy because he desires to be the only God in in all of our hearts. That he would be the first thing that you think of when you're in trouble. He would be the first thing you think of when when something good happens and and you want to just praise the Lord. He wants to be in all, through all, and with you in it all. He wants to be inter- he wants to be so intertwined within every fiber of your being, because that's the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross is to remove the one obstacle that's between us and God. And if sin is the one obstacle between us and God, there would then be nothing left separating us from God. That was the whole point. That's the reason why Jesus died on the cross. It's not so you can be the most theologically sound person on the planet. It's not so that you can go to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. It's not so that, you know, you you have these mundane things that you do when a child is born and you get them sprinkled. Or, you know, when your child is born, you have them dedicated by a pastor or none of these things. Or, you know, when you get married, you go to the church, none of those things. The point was to bring us back to God. That's the reason for salvation. And that's what a lot of people don't understand because they're caught up with, I go to church and I have to do these religious things and, and this rhetoric and redundancy and, and pastor, don't be too long-winded because the football game's coming on. They, they get so caught up in this and they're never taught that the whole point was to bring us back to God in the first place. If this is you, if this is you, man, do not let this opportunity pass you by. This is not worth losing your salvation over. Man, who stinking cares if your family finds out, even though you might have grown up in whatever church, that you were never born again? Who cares? Because at the end of the day, the wrath of God is abiding over your head already. That's what Scripture says. What does it matter what your family or your friends think? Okay? It doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. Rats and cockroaches grow up in church too, and I'm not calling you a rat or a cockroach, but I'm saying church attendance is not something that attains salvation. Right now, you are presented with an opportunity, just you and God. I'm talking through the podcast, but I have no idea who you are. I'm not judging you. I have no way to judge you. I have no idea who's listening. But take this opportunity and just throw pride and ego out the window and cry out to God. I'm not going to say a prayer with you because you need to cry out to God. This needs to be from you. This needs to be the revelation that Holy Spirit has given you. It it would make no sense for someone to repeat someone else's testimony in a court of law. That would not hold up. You have to cry out to God. And so to provide you with the most quote-unquote organic experience that you could possibly have with God, I'm not going to pray a prayer with you. You need to seek this out. You need to get a hold of God. You need to figure this out. You need to turn away 
from sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are the one that has to cry out to God until God responds with, with salvation. You have to work that out. Man, today, if you're hearing this, you know, Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did those in the desert when they provoked him. Do not stiffen your heart to this, like soften yourself and receive this. I know there's better preachers out there, and I know there's better podcast people out there, but there's not a better gospel that's preached because there's only one gospel. Do not harden your heart in this moment. You need to cry out to God. Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed in all. Man, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What do you think God's going to do if you heard this message and you were and he extended, here's salvation to you, and you turn your back on him? Think on that. I want to leave you with this warning because I'm, I'm really trying to help you. I want you to understand everything I'm telling you is just matter-of-fact truths that exist and have existed even prior to you hearing this if you've never heard it before. But in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, be, uh, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And here's the point. This is the point. I was given that for context. Here, here's the warning. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Do not just pass this by. Do not just write this off as a, you know, little podcast. Like, hear this out. Today is the day for salvation, Scripture says. Okay? If at any point in this you feel conviction, that is from Holy Spirit. And that is not to condemn you. That is to lead you to Jesus. There's no one around you, especially if you're listening to this, there's no one around you trying to condemn you. That's not the point of this podcast. But if you feel the unction from the Holy Spirit of, I need to turn, I need to repent, and I need to believe, I need what this guy's saying on the podcast, man, just go. Just like, go with this. Just like, yield to the conviction, yield to Holy Spirit and cry out to God until God encounters you, okay? I am telling you from experience, and on that note, I'm going to leave you with this, and just know that I am going to be praying for your salvation, that Holy Spirit just does not leave you alone and makes you feel like you're pressed up against the wall until you actually deal with this and encounter God. And from that moment on, it's just mercy and grace and joy. What I'm trying what I'm trying to achieve with this podcast is for you to experience this the wonderful good things of God just like I have. So do not turn away from this moment. Do not let this pass you by. Today, if you heard the word of the Lord, like if Holy Spirit is really pressing on you, man, do not harden your heart. Do not pass this by. Do not treat the blood of the Son like like a common thing, like like some unholy thing. Do not outrage the Spirit of Grace. This has been the Kilted Preacher, and I'll leave you with that.